Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. We brought you some really, really exciting individuals. And today I have someone who has achieved a lot at a very young age. Himanshu Vardhan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks a lot for mm-hmm. having me. Himanshu is a CFA. He's an MBA from Darden. He's worked for McKinsey, Hewlett Packard, Mentmo and Craftswiller. And uh, he's also the managing director. Managing director of uh, I'm heading the India business. Okay. So, um, Himanshu, you know, you've been a consultant, an entrepreneur and a professional manager. Talk to us a little bit about your early career, some of your challenges and your learnings. Sure. Uh, So I started out, um, um, after my college, I started out as a generalist researcher with McKinsey. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I feel that was a great experience because um, it was a time when I uh, got exposure to different industries, different Mm -hmm. functions. Um, I feel that uh, that early learning of being a generalist and working across sectors, across geographies and across industries preps you up for, uh, you know, sort of specializing in the later part of your career. And it makes it it easier for you to transition from one part of your career Mm -hmm. to another part later on. Yeah. Um, After that, uh, uh, I was pursuing CFA. I really enjoyed my uh, sort of pursuing CFA and developing the mindset of uh, from a portfolio point of view, even though I've not practiced as much of uh, investing in a uh, from a very structured point Mm -hmm. of view. Uh, Then I moved to the US and uh, joined back McKinsey again in in New York area. Uh, Again, it was a it was a great learning experience. Uh, I'd worked with McKinsey in India. Moving to the U.S. Uh, uh, and working in a in one of the U.S. offices, uh, even though the the uh, the overall approach to problem solving was very similar, but the culture and the kind of problems that we were solving were very different in U.S. than in India. Mm-hmm. So again, that was a that was an incredible experience, and also the diversity of people that we used to work with was Correct. was a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I always had this entrepreneurial, um, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurial desire. desire and need. So yeah. uh, I started this venture called Ment Mo. This is also based on my personal need that I felt uh, earlier in my career, where I come from a background of um, uh, people who have uh, worked in science. My parents are doctors, or my family is mostly engineers or in science domain. Nobody had done an MBA mm-hmm. or gone into the management domain. Um, so when I was planning and thinking about a career in this domain, I had very few people to reach out to in my immediate circle. Uh, so I felt a need, how do, if, if there was a platform which would connect me to a potential mentor, somebody mm-hmm. who could help me out uh, and guide me through, then in this particular domain, then that would be very helpful. So based on that experience, I founded mentmore.com. It was a it was a platform, peer to peer platform where you could reach out to people who have done things and they could. So I'm going to come to Mentpo. We've got lots of questions yeah, for you sure. on Mentpo because that's yeah. your journey as an entrepreneur. But tell me, you know, you've almost switched seamlessly from being a consultant to an entrepreneur to a professional manager. Um, not too many people I know who've done all yeah. three. Yeah. How how did how do you cope with so many different changes? Because each one wants a different mindset. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think training as a consultant also in some ways prepares you for that. You are 
um, you are going from one project to another. You are spending a few months in doing one project and then you're going to a new client, new problem, Can new it. industry, new function. Yeah. And it becomes second nature to transition from one thing to another mm. in a very short span yeah. of time. So yeah. that definitely helped a lot to make all of these uh, uh, transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I've been the kind of person who likes to explore, who likes to try out new things. Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of times these transitions are also part of excitement mm-hmm. that you know there's something new that I'm going to explore about yeah. myself and yeah. learn about mm-hmm. uh, what I want to do. Okay, so let's talk about uh, your role in ETSY. Is it called ETSY or Etsy? It's Etsy. Etsy. Okay. Yeah. So what does Etsy do in India and globally? Etsy is a global marketplace for unique and handmade products. Okay. Um, it was founded in 2005. Uh, it organically grew uh, over a period of time. We were uh, listed on NASDAQ in 2015. Mm-hmm. Currently, we have about 2.3 million sellers. Okay. Uh, out of which, uh, these are creative entrepreneurs, creative micro-entrepreneurs, not traditional businesses mm-hmm. most times. Uh, out of these 2.3 million uh, uh, creative entrepreneurs, uh, 87% are women. Okay. And 97% of them are home-based sellers. Wow. 53% of our creative entrepreneurs slash sellers claim that they uh, became a business on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have about uh, uh, 40, over 40 million buyers in nearly every country in the world. Mm-hmm. There are about 60 million unique product listings. So it's really a technology platform that connects people who are making and designing very unique products in small quantities buyers across the world who are looking for things that are more unique rather than mass produced. So, how, it, so how easy would it be for, uh, you know, you're a technology platform sure. yeah. working with, if I can use the word, handicrafts. Yeah. And traditionally, they've always been made in uh, rural parts of the world. Yeah. How easy is it for your platform to get used in, in terms of technology? You know, so so definitely uh, there there is challenge with working with uh, certain hand artisans who are traditional artisans who are not digitally native. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a large audience that is also digital native that mm-hmm. is very creative in urban areas. Mm-hmm. So there are predominantly three categories of uh, sellers or uh, creative uh, entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. we are reaching out to. The first two categories are in the urban areas, and the third one is the is in the rural area. Mm-hmm. So the first one is professional artists and people who are running boutiques, um, mostly in urban areas. Second category is uh, home-based entrepreneurs, housewives or, uh, you know, homepreneurs, uh, art students who are doing this part-time. They are, again, very, they are uh, digitally uh, native. Okay. They, are, they, they are pretty savvy to create their own setup. Mm-hmm. The third category is the traditional artisans, as you talked about uh, in India. Uh, now, there are definitely challenges to reach out to those people. Mm-hmm. So how we are solving for that is we've uh, we've done a couple of things. One is that we've created onboarding associates and content teams in okay. order to reach out to these people mm-hmm. uh, and uh, help them and enable them to get online. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of times they are not ready because they have practiced these art forms for like decades and now you know they don't want to adopt to a new digital platform mm -hmm. in that case we work with a younger person in their family okay and uh, help them out to get online that's where the millennials are probably yeah, coming exactly in. i mean so and you would be surprised that they are 20 22 years old in their villages who are helping out their parents and mm -hmm. grandparents mm -hmm. to get online on, on a platform like etsy one big, uh, one sort of very nice example of this is um, one of our sellers uh, who is uh, practicing this um, this art form called fort painting. Mm -hmm. He's uh, um, you know he's thirteenth generation wow. person who's practicing this art form. Mm -hmm. uh, his family has done it for over seven hundred years, and he with his family has been able to get on Etsy now and is selling online through mm -hmm. us to buyers across mm -hmm. the world. Amazing. You know, I always say in all my discussions with all the people, I learn something new. And today I've learned a new term from you, which is digitally native. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. So tell me, you know, with, with such a large uh, number of products, what are some of your supply chain challenges? So uh, we being a technology platform, mm -hmm. we, uh, for our supply chain is our sellers. Correct. They are the ones who make the products. They are the ones who set up their shop on Etsy.com, mm -hmm. a digital shop on Etsy.com. Sure. And then they they sort of write uh, write about their products and and market it on, on the platform. Mm -hmm. So um, so for us, the, the challenge is mostly around, uh, um, when we think about India, most of the challenge is around how do we get these traditional mm -hmm. artisans who are not digitally native to set up on India, uh, on the platform like XA. Mm -hmm. There are some challenges that are uh, associated with, uh, with international shipping and how to think about payments, but we have, we have teams to help mm -hmm. these people out to solve these things out. What we are doing essentially is creating like very small sellers who are sitting in their homes as exporters. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, when you think about exports, you would think about big container shipments going mm -hmm. from India or from one country to another. Mm -hmm. What we are doing is if, if my mother is knitting a sweater, mm -hmm. then she could be an exporter. She could sell to a buyer somewhere in France and with a nice handwritten note. In fact, one of the examples that I recall when my um, uh, somebody sent a gift for my daughter on, on, on her birthday from France. And uh, uh, this came from this French uh, housewife with a handwritten note. It was a small toy mm -hmm. with my daughter's name written on it with a very nice handwritten <coughs> note. Came in this envelope which had this crum crumbled nature of wow. it. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of experience that's very difficult to uh, very replicate very, in most very, of the other platforms. So, you know, uh, Himash, moving to uh, Mentmo, the company that you founded. Tell me a little bit about what Mentmo does uh, and what are some of your objectives? So Mentmo, um, it's, no, so it's no longer uh, there, but I founded it a few years back mm -hmm. uh, in my career. It was, uh, you know, going back again, it was based on my personal, um, my personal need for a platform like that, which mm -hmm. would help me and enable me to connect to people who could guide me and mentor me in, okay. in, in my career. So Mentmo came from Mentor? Yeah, ah, exactly. Okay. So, so, that, so it was a peer-to-peer -peer platform to connect you to people who have done uh, so, you know, who have done something. Let's say if you're applying to a college, if there's already a current student or an alum of the college, then you could reach out to that person and seek mentorship. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to work at a particular organization. Now, 
uh, rather than randomly reaching out on a social media platform, is there a way that you can actually contact the mentor and maybe in, in lieu of certain fee, uh, ask for mentorship or seek mentorship? So it was it was that platform that I uh, created. Mm-hmm. It was out of my personal need. Uh, it grew. We we did pretty well for some time. Uh, it was largely bootstrapped in the initial years, and we had some external funding. And then uh, we exited that business. Uh, um, you know, about uh, about five years back. So how did the mentoring work? I mean, did it mean that if I wanted you to mentor me, I would reach on the platform? Yeah. And then I would get connected to you, or would it be completely? Um, so in open? the in the earlier phase, it would be like you would um, you would reach out to the person who has gone to you know who's done something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. You reach out to that person. That person, the mentor, would be asking for a certain fee to do that. Mm-hmm. So they would quote a certain hourly fee to have a conversation or to help you out. That fee ranged from anywhere between 40 to $100, mm-hmm. depending on what you were reaching out for. And then through our platform, you would pay that fee and you would have the conversation. And if you're not happy with the mentorship or you know it didn't really help you out, then uh, the money, you, you would be eligible to get that money back uh, uh, if you're reaching out to the person. So it was really a marketplace kind of model that we created. Interesting. So I want to go back to Etsy for one or two more questions before I come to some advice from you to startups. You know, um, I was talking recently to a bunch of three young people who have started similarly. Um, uh, what you are doing on a much bigger scale, a company called Lal 10. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know these you know, guys have met them. You know, yeah. So I was speaking to them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were talking about how, how much they're doing. I asked them a question, what are some of the challenges they face? What are the challenges you face with handicrafts and the other two categories in India? So one is a more broader challenge that if I were to call handicraft as an industry, then I'm going to talk about it. Um, India has very rich history and very diverse history of different art forms and different kinds of handicrafts in different parts of India. You would go to a particular state uh, like Odisha and you would probably find there are probably 100 different kinds of forms that are very unique. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's definitely an opportunity, but that's also a challenge because when you aggregate that at an India level, you have these thousands of art forms that are very unique. Mm And uh, there's very little awareness about them. And there's not a singular branding that's coming out because there are just thousands of them. So the efforts of governments or efforts of different institutions to promote these get lost and it, it just spreads too thin. So there's no coherent India handicraft brand story mm. that comes out. It's a generic handicraft story. Uh, we can't claim like this one particular India is known for this one particular thing. So I think that storytelling uh, and branding is something that get missed out because of there are just so many the of diversity, these yeah. diversity. Uh, so that's one of the things. The other uh, thing is that... Uh, um, you know, as the digital medium and the digital platforms are opening up, there's huge opportunities for these people to be selling directly to the buyers. 
in the traditional uh, value chain in the normal value chain this this artisan would sell it to an intermediary intermediary would sell to a wholesaler another wholesaler would sell it to a retailer the retailer would sell to a buyer so there are a lot of intermediaries involved and the value that the artisan gets at the end of the uh, at the end of the chain is very low and digital uh, platforms can actually help to bridge the gap and provide most value to the person who's making the product okay uh, the challenge there is that most of the people have done business in a certain way or they have sold their products in a certain way for decades so the challenge is that there is a mindset shift that we need to do and digital enablement that we need to do for these traditional artisans mm-hmm. so they can directly reach out to the buyers uh not just for great value of the product but also feedback on the designs and feedback on the quality mm-hmm. of the product itself mm-hmm. because right now uh, for a designer or for the maker it's not just about uh, you know selling and mm-hmm. making money but it's also about improving the designs Correct. based on the feedback Correct. uh so these are the two big challenges that i see in the okay. in the overall sector and, and what about uh, consistency of quality See I think uh, that's that's a that's a great question but the way I answer about it is that um, it's about setting the right expectation mm-hmm. from the buyer okay because when it's handmade uh, if it is too consistent on quality mm-hmm. on the or the I design mm-hmm. then it loses its charm mm-hmm. you want it to be a little imperfect or a little different yeah. every piece is a little unique and different yeah. so rather than thinking about that as a shortcoming we have to think about that as a as really a, a you know a strength and how do we market that Correct. strength and explain it to the buyer Correct. that this imperfection is what why you are paying slightly premium mm-hmm. to a mass produced good that is maybe coming from a factory in india or china interesting very very interesting that's very interesting positioning statement to be able to say that my because i'm handmade i'm going to be inconsistent yeah Yeah, I you should expect me to be inconsistent. Yeah, and pay me more for it. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. And you know, it's it's unique. You know, nobody else has it because it's slightly <laughs> different than the other product that is being made. Very nice. So let's come to uh, startups and entrepreneurship. There's a lot happening in India. You know, everyone wants to be doing something, or is funding someone, or is an angel investor somewhere. You know, everyone I know seems to be somehow have a finger in the startup pie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet we know. that 9 out of 10 startups don't make it so what are some of your views on why startups don't make it uh so i i feel that uh, you know it's it's really great that the ecosystem has developed in the way that it has developed in last decade in india it's very encouraging there's a lot of support structure there are a lot of people who are willing to mentor there's a lot of money that's available the ecosystem has really bloomed and this is very very encouraging first of all uh though what that has also led to certain things in the ecosystem which has taken away what real entrepreneurship is mm. so the incentives for people a lot of times have started to be is that they are building businesses or they start to think about building a business not to serve or solve a particular business need but to raise some money mm. from investor mm. uh so when people are starting out young they are thinking about how do we raise our series a series b angel money rather than thinking about hey there's a need for this product i'm passionate for about mm-hmm. this domain let me start a business so that's one thing um the second thing is that uh, uh, definitely entrepreneurship has uh, ha- uh, you know has uh, has it's become cooler it's become the sexy thing to do 
Uh, but at the same point of time, what that has done is that uh, it has started some sort of an entrepreneurial tourism, if I were to use that word, is that Correct. people have started to do that for the glamour of it mm -hmm. rather than doing putting the passion, in the hard yeah. work and the passion for it. Mm -hmm. You know, behind a lot of this glamour and talk about uh, a particular startup, there's just a lot of hard work that goes on. And I feel a lot of people are missing out on that and they are thinking that entrepreneurship is just being like you know being on the front pages of the newspaper raising a lot of money yeah. and being this this star person who everybody reaches out to uh that's the second and of course everyone wants to be an indicorn yeah. at least yeah if not a unicorn <laughs> right yeah so uh, so that's the uh, that's the second thing where i feel that uh, you know maybe startups are not uh, a lot of startups are mm. are uh, failing uh, the third thing is that uh, growth businesses are great and we should all be thinking about growth businesses, but entrepreneurship is, uh, you know, or running a business is also about creating businesses that are self-sustaining. Uh, people are thinking a lot about growth, but not the, the cash flows and the self-sustainings of the businesses. And that's another reason that uh, till the funding, external funding comes in, the startups continue to grow as soon as they stop. Mm -hmm. They've not been used to running businesses with internal accruals and cash flows. And, you know, they start to suffer and the startups, uh, you know, doesn't yeah. do well after that yeah. point of time. I think these are the three big reasons I well feel said. that yes. a lot of startups might not be doing as yeah, great. Very well said. So, you know, one of the things that I have been doing a lot of, reading, research, I'm writing a lot, is on failure. And um, the Indian mindset, somehow, you know, all our parents thought of, we teach our <laughs> children, you have to come first, <laughs> you have to be ahead of the pack, probably because of our numbers. Yeah. And that reflects in traffic. Everyone wants yeah. to have a car right in front. Yeah. The moment a plane lands in India, everyone wants to be get off the plane yeah. first. The moment there's a queue, we want... And yet in the startup world, we are not teaching people the importance of failure. Yeah. You will be a hero in the Bay Area if you fail. Yeah. <laughs> and here, you'll be a disaster. We've had some, some entrepreneurs who've taken the extreme step. Yeah. What are your thoughts on failure? It's kind of interesting because I've started to hear... If you are applying to business school, then you should start a company and fail and write that in your yeah, business school essay. <laughs> uh, uh, so failure, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I become a little uncomfortable with this word, not because I don't like failing or I don't think that mm. people should fail, is because I think of that as a, when I reflect back on my career and various choices or uh, places where I. I quote unquote failed, I felt that there there have been like a lot of learning experience. It's almost being folk in the road where I had to make certain decision choices and I had to make certain decisions. And what were some of your learnings? Um, let's say the, the biggest one was that following the herd was the biggest mistake that a lot of people make. And in some ways it sets them up for failure. And I, I did that in early part of my career where I, um, both my parents are doctors. So I was like, I just want to become doctor only. And I realized I did not have the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the interest or maybe I did not have the aptitude for that. And uh, I was just doing it because everybody wanted to be that. Mm. Everybody wanted to be doctor, engineer, all of my, you know, immediate social circle was people who were either doctors. And 
I didn't realize that I was just following the herd. Mm. I wanted people to see me with a certain perception than rather than what I wanted to do. So that was one experience where I said that, hey, you know, it's it's less about what how I want people to perceive me, or it's less about what everybody else is doing. Um, I would need my peace time where I ask this question to myself: Is the, what is what is it that I want to do? What is it that I would be excited to do Correct. when nobody is watching me? Uh, so, so I think that would would be the probably the thing to uh, for people to think about in terms of failure to think about doing things that are you know where you're not following the herd. Mm. Uh, that's a very very important thing. And the second thing is that it's just a bump in the road most of the times. It's a cliched statement to say it's a bump in the road, but more often than not, and when I go back in my in my career, I've seen whenever a so-called failed. I've taken up something where I've come back in a way which has probably turned out to be better than it could have turned out the other way. Mm. Well said. So moving on to a few more questions about you personally. Um, what would you? Uh, what would be the three adjectives that would define you? Um, so first would be resilient. Second um, would be. Um, Empathetic. Mm -hmm. Third would be methodical. Okay. So I don't know if you want me to talk about talk, any of these. Talk about it. So resilience uh, is I, I, I've observed in my career, and now I think I'm probably become good with it. Is that uh, whenever I feel bad or I, you know I so called fail, uh, it's that drive for me to like it's it's almost a self challenge that I have to bounce back and bounce back better than what I would mm -hmm. have done mm -hmm. before that particular event. So. It's almost I've started to enjoy that that underdog when mm. who comes back kind of thing. It's it's a more of a self fulfilling thing. The second thing is empathetic. I I do feel uh, try to uh, I I do feel connected with people. I I do believe that I'm good with um, understanding people, mm. connecting with them at a level which where I try to understand them and I try to see how do I uh, work with them, how do I interact with them. Uh, and uh, think about uh, you know things that are beyond the the obvious in the conversations. Um, so that's second thing. The third thing um, is uh, is methodical. Uh, it's maybe my training as person who has been in structured environment of being a consultant, mm -hmm. uh, following structured problem solving process. Mm -hmm. uh, is that I I just try to be always like you know think about the right set of steps. Every everything that I do. I sort of start to think about various steps that I need to get to to a particular point. Interesting. So you already, already asked me my, ne my next question, which was what is the reason for your success? And you've given me all the three answers already. So let me move on. Um, you know, and let's, let's make this my last question. You know, as an entrepreneur, and there are close to 600,000 people who watch our podcast, videocast every month. A lot of them are young uh, startup entrepreneurs. What would your advice be to a young startup entrepreneur who's embarking on his or her journey now? First would be um, to bootstrap your business as much as possible. Correct. A startup is your baby. For an investor, it's one of the many. probably many portfolio companies that we would be investing in. If your startup fails, then uh, you know for an investor, it's fine. They'll write it off. But for you, it's time and effort and mental energy and the emotional investment that you make in it. So try to bootstrap it as much as possible. That's the first one. The, the second would be um, 
think about your time as a very very important resource when you're building a company in the initial days there are a lot of things to be done you could be doing anything and everything and still thinking that you do not have any time to do anything so think about how you spend your time and what are the activities that you spend a lot of your time on mm. uh, and that's where i feel a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs in their early part are thinking and spending more time in thinking about raising money rather than building a product or the business itself so that's the once you once you get the business once you get the customers once you get a business model investors will follow you mm. so that's the um, uh, second thing third thing would be persisting uh with with that with a with whatever you are doing and being very disciplined about it mm-hmm. getting up every day at a certain point of time being very very disciplined about it because it's not a job you're not like going and answering to a boss mm-hmm. so it's very easy to say that hey you know today I'll start at this time today tomorrow I'll start at this time but once you have that disciplined approach then it reflects in what you are doing while mm-hmm. building the mm-hmm. the firm as well uh last fourth uh, and last would be um building the right set of team again it's something that i've been talked a lot about in entrepreneurship and i feel uh that is that is just extremely important and i will just reinforce that uh, is because when you are building businesses that scale up you're not going to be able to do everything yourself mm-hmm. so you need the right set of people who who share your vision who share your passion and uh, who are committed to it so right build the right set of people and right team to in order to scale up the the business don't think that you will be doing everything yes, you sir. know you'll not be able to scale it up otherwise wow himanshu thank you very much talking to you has been an absolute pleasure and a huge learning i wish you lots of success thank you thanks a lot for having me over Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for the Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.